There's a growing conversation around the role that ethics plays in the transportation profession. As we design systems that encourage more people to walk, bike, and take transit alongside motor vehicles, what ethical responsibility do we have to protect the traveling public? Our job is, as the expert is to inform. You know, so we need to remove the car-centric values language out of our discussion and really focus on the safety outcomes and the quality of life outcomes so that people understand the real choices they're making. There's an urgency to the conversation right now, fueled by the continued rise in pedestrian deaths and a new focus through Vision Zero on eliminating all traffic deaths and serious injuries. More and more transportation professionals are recognizing that their ethical responsibilities start with public safety and putting safety first. From Tool Design Group, this is the new ease of transportation. I'm Jennifer Tool. I am sitting here in our headquarters in Silver Spring, Maryland with my colleague, Bill Schulteis. He's the vice president of the firm and also our director of sustainable safety. So welcome, Bill. Good morning. And also, I'm really excited to welcome Jeff Pignotti. He is the executive director and CEO of the Institute for Transportation Engineers, a job he's had for just about three years. He was formerly with the FHWA for 32 years and held the highest career position in the agency. He's brought tremendous new leadership to ITE, and I would say a welcome, fresh perspective. So big welcome to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Jennifer. It's a pleasure to be here. This focus on safety is not a new thing for ITE. And ITE Journal just published an article around the ethical responsibilities of engineers to protect all users, including pedestrians. It was a really great article. It was in the July issue. Are you seeing a change in terms of how we think about our ethical responsibilities as transportation professionals? And what do you think that will mean for the future? I appreciate um, highlighting the article in the IT journal because I thought it was a great article as well. And, and the credit really goes to the IT Ethics Committee, which put together the article and, and the examples in the article. Um, if you go to the IT canon of ethics, and they, they outline these in the article, there are a number of canons that, that, that apply to safety and apply to the case that they highlighted. But first and foremost is that the member will have due regard for the safety, health, and welfare of the public. I think Vision Zero is causing us to look at that ethical responsibility through a new lens. As our, our own ethics committee and as a lot of people think about ethics, they think about it in a different context, more in a business context. But in, in this article, and I think more and more transportation professionals are recognizing that their ethical responsibilities start with public safety and putting safety first. Yeah, and the article was really, it set up a scenario where an, an engineer was asked to compromise safety for political reasons and, and other reasons. And I think it really set up a, a real life example that people are faced with almost every day. What kind of feedback did ITE get about that article? I mean, I think it's been generally positive. I think it's caused some conversations. There's one going on in our IT community right now about Vision Zero. And you know, Vision Zero is a concept that I think a lot of people struggle with, particularly engineers. They focus on the zero and the fact that we're so far away from it today. So how can we possibly 
conceive of a world of zero. Yeah. And I think you have to translate the goals of Vision Zero around this idea of putting safety first and of of taking actions over and over that move us in the direction of zero. You know, it is a journey. It's not something that we're going to get to overnight. But if we don't accept it as the only acceptable outcome that we should be after as transportation professionals, we'll certainly never get there. Yeah. And it's some conversations and some thinking and some struggles. And I think that's okay. I mean, I think we have to have the discussions and debates and recognize the fact it's not going to be a straight line and that we're not going to go directly down to zero and it's going to take some tough decisions and that's all okay. If this article and ITE's initiative on Vision Zero and, and engagement of firms like Tool Design in this conversation open up the dialogue and get us thinking about this issue, I think that's all positive. Yeah, I agree. Bill, the same question. What do you see changing in our profession when it comes to the conversation around ethics? I mean, I think Jeff really brings up a great point that it's not that it's a new idea, this issue of focusing on safety and and ethics, but what is absolutely new, I think, is now we're starting to talk about the the why, uh, what we're doing, the values that underlie the ethics. And you're seeing um, people speak up, such as on the community listserv, you're seeing conversations about the impact of the decisions we have on the place, on livability, quality of life. And people are starting to ask those questions in relation to the decisions we're making, um, which historically were focused on, you know, creating a car focused society and not having a wider discussion of the impact of that, what the values associated with that uh, were. I want to talk a little bit about the differences between our country and other countries in terms of how we think about ethics around transportation, Um, because I think that we can learn some lessons from other places. In Sweden, the responsibility for safety is squarely on the system designer um, and transportation professionals. Yet here in this country, we've had a strong focus on changing behavior. And people have often cited the statistic that 94% of crashes are human error. So, Jeff, do you see that dynamic changing here in the U.S.? And do you think we'll become more like the Swedes when it comes to the responsibility for safety? Well, first, I have to comment on that 94% statistic because it's one that's frustrated me for a long time. You know, I've always wondered why it isn't 100% because users are pretty much involved in every crash. But I think the fact that we've suggested that it's virtually 100% the user responsibility, and particularly the driver responsibility, I think misses the opportunities that we have in the planning, design, and operation of the system to affect how drivers behave and what outcomes of crashes are. And all you have to do is look at the differences in crash rates and severity on roads with different design characteristics and operational characteristics to see that there's clearly influence in the way we plan, design, and operate roadways on the outcomes that come out of those roadways. There are definitely lessons to be learned from the Swedes, but I think we also have to recognize Sweden is about the size of a state, and we have a much bigger geography and and variation to deal with, and our culture is a little bit different as well. Uh, But the approach that they take that I think is transferable 
is this idea of designers and operators and planners of the system taking responsibility for safety. And the underpinnings of that are accepting the fact that humans are humans and they will make mistakes. And there is a human injury tolerance that we need to be aware of as we plan, design, and operate systems. I think that's what's transferable from Sweden because I think that's how they have looked at safety for a long time. I had the opportunity to travel to Sweden in the late 90s when they were in the early stages of Vision Zero. And, and they were struggling with it too. And it's taken them a long time to get where they are. So it wasn't that it happened instantaneously. Um, and they will tell you, and they haven't gotten all figured out. They've made a lot of progress and admirable progress, but they're still on the journey as well. Yeah, they have not reached zero yet. So they still have a ways to go. Bill, how do you think we evolved this way? This, in this country, this sort of, it's the user's fault when a crash occurs mentality. And what do we need to do to change that? Something that it's, uh, I've become passionate about, it. I think as you know, I've been reading, I've always loved history. Something that I've learned with my love of history as I keep reading, our profession is deeply unaware of uh, our role in um, some major events in this country's history when it came to segregation, uh, supporting segregation through decision-making of highways and how that led to what helped support white flight from cities and then how we use uh, the highway funding system to fund the destruction of urban communities and black communities to put highways in, all to favor suburban travel and the value system of the suburban, largely white population through uh, these city areas. And I think it's really challenged me to learn about that history and understand kind of what was happening at that time, what was motivating some of those decisions, and then to be living in a world where the results of those decisions are very present. What I've found in when I talk about this with my um, colleagues, especially when we're out doing trainings, is, is that one, they often don't know about this history. And then when they, when they learn about it, they're, they're very interested in knowing more, which I think is super positive. Um, but, but the third thing is, what do we do about it? And that's, that's really the hard part because we spent hundreds of billions of dollars on this infrastructure and we've now created a lifestyle that is really car dependent. That's a big challenge for us moving forward, I think, is knowing that history, reconciling it, and then what's the action plan moving forward to resolve some of it while we address these safety issues that are really baked into the existing system that uh, are going to require we make some changes. Yeah, a lot of work to do. And I think um, education and understanding the past is a, a big part of solving the problems that we'll have in the future. So I'd like to give some sort of practical examples of things that we can do. Um, every project has its constraints, right of way, budget, politics, and inevitably, there are difficult choices to be made with regards to safety. And something that might make one user safer might have impacts on other users in terms of travel time. So I want to start with you, Bill. Um, what advice would you give to a roadway designer who's been asked to do something that they feel is going to compromise safety to reduce travel time? Um, and I feel like this is a real ethical dilemma that 
um, transportation professionals are faced with every day. So what would your advice to that person be? You know, I start again with that baseline of like, we need to know our history. We need to understand how that history is reflected in our design guidance, because a lot of the values of the 1940s and 50s and 60s are still reflected in today's design guidance products. That level of service tool is completely loaded with values, depending on how it's applied. And historically, the way we've applied it is that any congestion is unacceptable uh, once it's beyond the level of service D or E. And when we start talking about kind of, well, whose time is valued, um, it creates a, a challenge, I think, of operating in certain environments where you can be prioritizing, um, say, suburban commuters or rural com people coming from long distance away through a community. And you can make the case that their time is more important than the safety of the local users. And that's really where the tension lies because we do need mobility. We need economic development um, to occur and that, re that requires mobility. But, but this issue of balance has been out of whack for a long time. So I think what I, the advice I would offer to the person is, um, you know, know that history, but, but really embrace our ethics. I find when you embrace our ethics and you really understand them and you think of, and you kind of bring a value system to it that is focused on safety and quality of life, it can be empowering. Um, and that it can unleash the sort of inner problem-solving abilities of the engineer. And, you know, our job is, as the expert is to inform. You know, so we need to remove the values-laden, car-centric values language out of our discussion and really focus on the safety outcomes and the quality of life outcomes so that people understand the real choices they're making. All right, good. Um, over to you, Jeff. What, what's some practical advice that you would give to um, a transportation professional faced with that dilemma? Uh, I, I would echo some of what Bill said. I think, you know, it starts by remembering your ethical responsibilities. And, and I think that comes down to putting safety first. I think the good news is we have better tools available to us today than we've ever had to understand the impacts of our planning and design decisions on safety and on the performance of the system. And so I think we need to use those tools so that we can clearly understand the implications of a particular decision and the trade-offs we're making and maybe what alternatives are available to a particular direction that someone is, is advocating. Yeah, I think that's a great point, especially around the, the tools that we have that we haven't had in the past to identify things that will have a real impact on safety. We know now that we can implement something like a, um, a rapid flashing beacon um, at an uncontrolled crossing, and we know exactly how, how many crashes that will reduce. Um, and so we can draw on those, that research that's been done in the past few years to really quantify the impact of um, our designs on safety. Ten years ago, we didn't even have that as, as really a, uh, an option. So I think it's also really important for, for our transportation professionals to become conversant in those, in those things and be able to cite the research and, and know the impact on um, the real impact on crashes that a design could have. We've talked about the fact that safety is not a new thing in our profession. And I wanted to ask 
ask you, Jeff, um, what are some of the positive things we can build on? Good things that we've done in the past that are the right direction for um, safety and the, the right ethical direction for the future. I'm leading a, this effort with the Road to Zero Coalition on Safe Systems, and we're really centered around two elements. One is that we need to anticipate human error, and the second is that we need to accommodate human injury tolerance. When we put rumble strips alongside a, a roadway to be able to warn a driver who might have because of fatigue or distraction, be drifting out of a lane, right? We're anticipating human error and we're trying to correct that error before it turns into, uh, you know, a bad outcome. I think our approach, again, is to put safety first, to be more attentive to anticipating human error and accommodating human injury tolerance, and to build off of the tools and resources that we've had in the past and be creative and innovative about how we go about using our right-of-way and using our various transportation, you know, traffic engineering tools to safely accommodate the needs of all of the users of the system. And I think if we do that, th there are a lot of opportunities for us to build off of uh, the practices that we've had in the past. There is a lot that we have done before to make our system safer and a lot about vehicle design, frankly, that we've done to improve the safety of the passengers of vehicles as well. So in closing, I want to talk a little bit about the old ease. There's some debate over whether there are three or five or maybe, I don't know, seven old ease, but um, engineering, education, and enforcement are sort of the core ease that we've had in our profession for a hundred years. Do you see those old ease evolving with the profession and what do we need to do to help bring ethics to the forefront? I think we are still really captive to, to those ease because they're pretty fundamental and they're hard to argue with. You know, education is important. People need to understand how to use the road system. We need to use enforcement to support um, the rules that we set as a society. But ultimately, I've seen it as, as somewhat of a failure to focus entirely on them. It hasn't been working. And when you look at the last 100 years of evidence of that, it has largely failed. And I think it's largely failed because, um, well, we've been able to be pretty proactive in improving the safety of highways. It's relatively easy because they're access limited and it's really one user type. Um, we've really struggled to, to bring that sort of system approach into more complex areas such as suburban areas and urban areas because we've largely tried to take the safety lessons we've learned from the highways and apply it inappropriately um, to urban contexts. And I think that's where there's been a lot of challenge. And I think some of that arises out of the fact that the ease as they're presently structured, there's really no value system to them. They are independently siloed ideas of that really are different actors I'm not the police force as an engineer. I can just do engineering and I'm not the teacher and um, the person that can go out uh, other than a, a little bit at a public meeting, but I really am not in a position to educate the public. Um, and so I think that that naturally results in a siloing of the effort. Now we try to deal with that through collaboration with different agencies, but there's limits. And I think the power of the Swedish approach is that we need to own it more. You know, we actually are the ones 
writing the design guidance, we can do a better job as a profession of making them context appropriate. Um, we can do a better job of doing the research to make sure we're making right decisions. And I think what's really exciting is over the last 30 years and, and the last 20 in particular, there has been a, an enormous amount of research in this area of um, the types of treatments that work and why. And so what's the challenge we have is that's, that's great from an engineering perspective, but how do you make the decision of what to do? The, the five E's aren't really teaching you how to make a decision. What we are missing is a value system that underlies that of how to make the decision. And that's where I think it, you know, as we've been talking, there needs to be a shift that it should be an ethical based decision making that factors in equity, our history of the, the, the damage done and the, some of the design guides that are inappropriately applied and, and bringing an empathy angle to this to understand the impact of these decisions on the users and wrapping those together uh, to create a sense of shared values to, to inform these decisions that we make. Jeff, do you have any final thoughts on how the, the ease should evolve in the future? Yes, I, I think Bill makes a great point there about us being siloed or in our own stovepipes. I think we're going to solve the problems we have, and the challenges, and seize the opportunities we have in delivering transportation to the public. It really is going to come from a community approach, from bringing planners and engineers and policymakers and technologists and public health officials and others together to solve and address these problems. And yes, it, it requires the system owners and operators to take more responsibility, but they can only, I think, achieve the outcome of Vision Zero by being part of a collaboration with a larger community. And that's really where ITE is, is heading, to create a place where that community can gather and exchange ideas and, and work on problems uh, across those silos or across those stovepipes. And really, if you look at the cities that are moving the needle on crashes through Vision Zero, it's the cities that have really embraced a multidisciplinary approach to, to traffic safety. It's not just the engineers working on it or the public works departments. It's the police department. It's the health department. It's the education department. It's, it's really a group effort. Yeah, and I think that's where from engineers and planners that we need to be comfortable with and, and embrace those who have been advocates for Vision Zero. And, I, and sometimes it makes us uncomfortable, you know, that they advocate, but what, what they've been able to do, I think, is get the attention of the politicians and the policymakers and to bring together some of the folks from other disciplines that we don't normally work with, like public health or work as much as we should, like enforcement. And they mobilize citizen groups to give us the environment to be more aggressive and to be more creative and to get more resources, frankly, to invest in creating better communities and safer communities. And so that partnership with the advocacy community, I think is an important one and one that sometimes it makes us a little uncomfortable, but I think we've, we've seen at ITE as we've partnered with those communities that there's a lot of benefit both ways. We, we get something from that partnership. We also give something in terms of our knowledge about how you really solve these problems on the ground. So I, I do think this collaboration is key.
that is an amazing point because it really wraps into our ethical duty to operate under our area of expertise. And we don't often possess expertise in health, in economics. That's where our planning partners and other professionals and even advocacy groups can, can come in and round out our, our knowledge gaps. I think that collaboration, whenever we've seen that collaboration happen, you, you've got the most amazing streets. You have really vibrant communities. That they're places people want to be. Um, and we should all be, I think, striving to, to do more of that. Lots of food for thought as we consider a transportation future that is rapidly changing and the role that ethics will have in that future. I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. And a big thank you to Jeff Pignotti, Executive Director and CEO of ITE, for participating today. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you very much, Jennifer, and I appreciate your leadership in putting this podcast together. And I also want to thank our own Bill Schulteis, Director of Sustainable Safety here at Tool Design. Oh, it was a pleasure, and it's always a joy to spend time with Jeff, and I really appreciate what IT is doing for our profession to advance this conversation. I think IT is really a leader in this area, and it's, um, I think it shows the importance of partnerships to, to make this happen. So thank you. Thank you both. You'll find more information about the Institute of Transportation Engineers in the show notes for this episode or on their website at ite.org. At Tool Design Group, our goal is to change the core values of our profession and focus our work on the needs of the people and communities we serve. We want you to be part of the discussion around the new ease of our industry. For more perspective on ethics and the other new E's, visit our website at tooldesign.com slash the new E's. Join the conversation on social media by searching for tool design with the hashtag the new E's. The new E's of Transportation podcast is produced by Nate Graham and edited by K.O. Myers. I'm Jennifer Tool. Thank you for listening. <laughs>